we we stand in front of the biggest tectonic shift in plates ever in history, but it's all for the good because think about what the market is crying for right now is to a return to pre-COVID. Pre-COVID, let's remind ourselves, was negative real rates. It was no productivity. It was companies growing without no business model. And it was a real economy suffering and inequality being created. If people want to go back to that, you know, fine by me. I'm not going to be the judge, but I will, I will very quietly leave through the back door. Uh, instead, I hope to be part of the next 20 years of productivity and, and resetting and recalibrating the economy. So don't get too down on this. It, it, it will solve itself because mankind, the ability to face challenges is unique in human beings. Welcome to Wealthion. I'm Wealthion founder Adam Taggart. Thanks for joining us for part two of our interview with money manager Steen Jacobson. If you haven't yet watched part one of our discussion with Steen, in which he explains how he's investing capital in the current bizarro world where central planners are trying to save the markets by tanking the economy, head over to our channel at youtube.com slash Wealthion and watch it there first. It sets the context for the investment themes we discuss in this video. Steen also generously shares how he's currently allocating capital for the turbulent year he sees ahead. So be sure to stick around for that. Okay, let's get started watching part two of our interview with Steen Jacobson. You obviously, Steen, are responsible for helping Saxo navigate you know, billions of dollars uh, through what's gonna happen next year. Um, what, how are you currently, well, what do you expect to happen and how are you currently allocating uh, to, uh, for that future? In, in terms of allocation, I don't have any expectation. I, I think very similar to what you do at Wealthion and then your, and, and your partners, we are really about a multi-asset allocation model. And as I've shared in the past, it's nothing has changed. 35% in equities, which is uh, rebased uh, re every month. So everything in my model is rebased once a month. So we are selling when it goes up and we're buying when it goes down. We have 17% in fixed income structures or fixed income directly. We have 10% in uh, real estate. We have 10% in gold. And we have uh, a nice chunk of allocation, seven, eight percent to uh, commodities and seven, eight and seven percent in volatility longs, um, which is, you know, uh, a, a product we buy off the shelf in ETF forms. So when we construct portfolios and the way we think about the market, Adam, is really just to not trying to second guess what is going to happen in the market, but make sure that we understand that as an investor, you are paid to take the illiquidity premium out of the market, which means you need a, a few different assets. Of course, um, you know, private equity and, and equity being the, the highest order in terms of return, but also the highest risk. And then, you know, after that comes uh, everything else. So, so for us, it, it's about a multi-allocation. And, and, you know, despite the fact that as, as you as you said, we had a we had a good year on the course last year. And, you know that multi-asset model in, in our version was down four percent, which I think compares favorably with uh, you know uh, what happened to the rest of the market and and after some some bumper years. But but we are very confident in this multi-asset, Adam. And and to be honest, I've done this long enough to know that uh, I should have started here, but I ended here in terms of multi-asset. I tried <laughs> yeah. to be. You know, our thinking, our smart in the market, I gave up on that because there are no gurus, there are no easy way, and there are no easy markets. 
there's only, you know, uh, I like to say, you know, for me, macro and trading and allocation is a little bit like having a card game. Exactly when you understand the rules, someone changes the uh, the rules one more time. So you need to start over again. All right. Well, first, let me congratulate you. Um, I'm sure you, you know, nobody loves a down year, but being down 4% in a year when, you know, the major indices were down 20 plus percent uh, and bonds had, you know, one of the worst years ever. Uh, that's pretty darn good performance. So congratulations. Um, I'm curious. So the allocations that you just uh, mentioned here, how much have they changed at all, just in terms of allocations um, over the past recent years? You know, do you change the allocations very much, or is this model so kind of battle honed that that these allocations are relatively steady? With uh, with a little bit of hybrid, we call it the hundred year model. So theoretically, it shouldn't change, but actually, uh, twenty two. Being such a big geopolitical year, we had two major changes. One was that we excluded last year, as you may remember, we had a little bit of crypto. We have uh, excluded that, not because I was, was going to ask about that actually. Yeah, end. it's it's not at the end of the road for us, but it's it's just too volatile. And and to be honest, if I have ten clients, you know, eight nine of them are uncomfortable with it, although it was only three percent and it was really not materially impacting, but. I, I found out that I spent a significant amount of time trying to explain why we had crypto. So that's been excluded. And and then we we think that, that to, and, and this is not a political statement, but we think to to a large extent that the very small exposure, 2% we had to China, we, we were not comfortable with that. So we substituted that for MSCI Asia, excluding China. Um, uh, and, and in terms of the equity allocation of 35%, I think, one of the things we are considering right now is to uh, use the uh, Inflation Act in the US to up our allocation to clean tech, simply because clean tech seems from the analysis I've seen to be uh, the space which will benefit most from the Inflation Protection Act, DRA. All right, and um, so there... small, small, uh, but you know everything stays the same in terms of the equity brackets and and the uh, the allocation. But we may change a little bit of the subset uh, based on, as I explained just now, in the equity space. Got it. Yep, the the, the mix within the allocation. Um, yeah. Okay, so um, I'm just curious in clean tech, are there any particular sectors there that that are, are catching your focus as this is a good way to play clean tech? If you look at the whole subsidy structure of the RIA, it, it's very much uh, tax credits and benefits. So, you know, one part would be uh, batteries uh, would benefit, solar, of course, would benefit. But I'm looking for, as you can imagine, everything but solar and battery uh, as an investment. <laughs> so anything that sits outside that in that bracket, if you do, uh, if you do a, a subsector. I, I'm not against these. I, I'm sure they would do fine because of the subsidy and the tax treatment they're getting. But But for me... The, the tailwind here is that in a market which I expect to be, you know, normally growing in, in as we talked about under the uh, in, uh, recession part, um, I, I still think the real return uh, is, is, you know, I'm not expecting a bump, but five to ten percent based on the on the tailwind from from the uh, Inflation Act. Okay. Um, and on the fixed income side of things, uh, a number of the Analysts I've had on this program of late have said that that um, primarily looking at at U.S. Treasury bonds um, are saying um, they look really attractive right now. Um, 
uh, and um, I've heard even one or two say maybe the most attractive they've seen in their trading these people's trading careers. Um, are you do any doing anything in your fixed income part of your portfolio right now, um, given the current yes. macro situation? So uh, we had a big chunk of floating uh, rates, which you can buy as an ETF uh, in in twenty one and twenty two. We changed that to fixed, and we, you know, you may think that the the U.S. Treasury market is is exciting, but for, for someone who lives in Scandinavia, we have the most progressive real estate market uh, and and mortgage market here. So AAA Danish mortgage bonds, which never fell, pays you five and a half percent. It's almost impossible not to take because what does five and a half percent compare to? It compares to uh, you know. Uh, a a market return which i expect to be minus five plus five for for next year so 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 i think uh you know going from floating to fix is really the big change i've gone so I, i've taken on some uh, some very very i mean the the, the spread between government danish gov governments and danish mortgage bonds is you know 50 basis point so it's very very high uh great uh, value and then you can do that all over europe and i think you can even do in the us to be honest if you only take the the high tranches of, of, of so you know a little bit of pig off in 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 in, in for, from, from from that perspective but net 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 uh, exposure overall unchanged uh change from floating to uh, to some of these more uh, specific uh, fixed uh, rate stuff okay um all right, and you're reminding me we went straight to your allocation for the coming year. Um, you just mentioned your sort of general market um, return expectations, which if I heard you right, it sounded like minus 5% to 5%. So is that sort of like you're expecting your expected return for the market for the coming year is about zero? No, it's it's a goal line uh, end of the year because I, I, I think during the year we can be down 15 to 20% and we can sure. be up 10%. It really... I have no predictability, Adam, but 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 I really think that we, it's it's going to be a year of two halves, either a very bad first year or a very bad second part of the year. But I'm pretty sure we're going to have two halves. I don't think we end significantly different from where we are right now. Hence the minus five plus five. But I think the range is really minus fifteen plus ten uh, for for the full year because okay. of the volatility, the uncertainty. Right. I think all the questions you've asked me is really. You know, question that uh, you know very good, obviously, but also has a number of path-dependent routes that you can follow. Because you know, if you, you know, if Fed is going to pivot, it's 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 really important whether it is based on my treasury failure on 2.4 trillion of issuance, or whether it's just because that there is a recession, right? And that creates, and then and, you know, if there is a recession, I think the market will rally 15, 20 percent, and then fall. 30 because you know how again i started by by and i i would love to end on this I, I started by saying there is no way in economics in uh, in markets that the stock market and real economy should not be correlated right now it is inversely uh, correlated meaning that uh, you know to get a big up market in stocks you need a bad uh, real economy that that simply isn't true it is not how it works it's not how it's supposed to work yeah, certainly not the way you're supposed to run your system. Um, well, look, uh, Steen, um, you know, I have uh, our wealthy uns endorsed financial advisors. They come in this program every week with me exactly for the reason you're talking about, which is, uh, you know, we all believe that that uh, things are highly uncertain, fluid, um, lots of potential for for certain 
things that we're watching to, to break multiple different ways. And we also know there are things out there that we're not watching that are going to come into the picture and surprise everybody too. So the ability to make these audible calls uh, is going to be really important this year for folks trying to understand where, where things are going. So I have those guys on the program every week. I just want to give you an open invitation, Steen, that if there's something material that happens that changes your outlook, you're more than welcome to come back on this program anytime to say, hey, I know what I told you last time, but I'm now thinking X because this this just happened. So we'll definitely give you the opportunity uh, to do that. Um, well, Steen, look, um, can't thank you enough. Uh, you're one of the really most fascinating guys I get to talk to. Thank you so much for sharing so much of, of how you look at the world, um, but also being so generous and just open to the kimono in terms of how you you know are allocating all of your, uh, uh, your capital that you're managing here. Um, maybe two last questions as we wrap up here. Um, one, I'm just asking out of just pure morbid curiosity. But when we talked last, uh, you were talking about, you know, the 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 small percentage that you were allocating into crypto. And, and at this point in time, you were talking, you and I were talking, crypto was still up near its all-time highs. The NFT market was booming. Um, you were basically telling me, yeah, we have got some guys that are buying NFTs. I don't really understand how it all works, but it's making money and it's interesting right now. Um, how, I, I know you said, given what's happened in the crypto market since then, you have sort of taken it off your, your focus. Um, but how, I guess, any color in terms of how that part of the market, um, I don't want to use the word died because it's too much of a biased word, but like, um, I've got to presume, especially kind of the highly speculative, like NFT kind of part of the market, um, it's a totally different world today than it was a year ago. Um, and I know you're not saying crypto's dead, don't ever touch it. But I'm just curious as a guy who was kind of looking at it and then said, all right, we got to take it off the table here. Do you have any any color you want to add beyond what you already talked about there? I, I you know, I, I'm still very keenly observing and I and I do trade it uh, both PA and, and sometimes, you know, propriety wise, but but it's it's for me. The conundrum here is why it hasn't blockchain taken off. We can have uh, uncorruptible election. We can have uh, the best tax system in the world. We can have uh, legal contract being shared. We could have perfect information. You know, some people on the privacy side would say because everything is public. But you know, listen, everything is already public. Uh, ask NASA; they can get everything they want. But NSA, sorry, they can get everything they want anyway. But the but 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 to me, the the big conundrum, Adam, and really is my answer is that you know I, I I am pretty sure one day, and and probably inside the next ten years, we will have the real user case of blockchain, and then blockchain will you know again revitalize the industry. But it's not unusual to have a you know crypto winter. We had an AI winter. I mean, everyone thinks AI was invented in the last five years, but it's been around since the, the late 1940s, and they've had plenty of of of, of crypto of, of AI winters in terms of uh, progress and evolution. Uh, we have one right now in terms of the ability of AI. There's too much metadata, relatively speaking. So I think with all these technology things they are not they're not disappearing they're not slowing down but they take uh, you know by roads uh, they they get off from the main road and into the uh, sort of the rural roads and they stay there for a while before they come back on on so for me this is all about a crypto winter and an ai winter which is uh, materializing uh, partly because again the real economy needs to grow so less capital flows there's less free capital you know part, part of it is of course the fraud which is very 
well publicized, but it's also the energy cost one, but more importantly, it's also the fact that the residual capital, as we talked about earlier, I mean, if you can get, I can get five and a half percent mortgage rates, why do I need crypto? You know, you know it, it's for the first time in the last 10 years, I can actually, you know, if I started a new portfolio tomorrow and just doing 25, 25, 25, fixed income, equity, uh, commodity, and, 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 and uh, real estate, you know, the expected uh, you know, carry would be uh, significantly above five percent annum. So things, you know, when, when fundamentals change, you need to change, and fundamentals has changed for this industry. So I predict a, a crypto winter and 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 a little bit of traveling on on the on the rural roads. But I'm pretty sure when when blockchain ultimately gets its breakthrough, we will we will see a revitalization. Okay, great. And as somebody who you know lived through a lot of the internet era, you know. There are a lot of companies out there at the very beginning of 1.0 that, that, that aren't around anymore, but certainly the internet, once it got its traction, you know, unlocked a ton of value. Um, all right. Well, Steen, um, before I ask you where folks can go to follow you and your work, um, is there just any parting advice you have for today's concerned investor who is just trying to navigate the coming year and, and hopefully not uh, become roadkill like so many did in 2022? Only that. Don't listen to guys like me, pundits who uh, who make it uh, almost a living to to be on, on TV and podcasts to talk about the markets. Make your own work. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure everyone, uh, if they follow the multi multi asset strategy, will do well. And then just be optimistic. We we stand in front of the biggest tectonic shift in plates ever in history, but it's all for the good because think about what the market is crying for right now is to a return to pre-COVID. Pre-COVID, let's remind ourselves, was negative real rates. It was no productivity. It was companies growing without no business model. And it was a real economy suffering and inequality being created. If people want to go back to that, you know, fine by me. I'm not going to be the judge, but I will. I will very quietly leave through the back door. Uh, instead, I hope to be part of the next 20 years of productivity and and resetting and recalibrating the economy. So don't get too down on this. It 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 will solve itself because mankind, the ability to face challenges, is unique in human beings. Uh, whether you're an American or you are anywhere in the world, we, we will deal with this in, in, a, in a good way. All right. And Steen, you, you're reminding me that I, I really didn't give you the soapbox to to really shout, you know, why you were so confident or why you were predicting uh, eventually we're going to have the most productive years in history ahead. Um, I'm guessing, you know, from what you, you've said here, um, it's because the the market's really having to return to the fundamentals, or the, or the system is having to return to the fundamentals of um, investing in what truly works, given the the higher um, cost of capital, um, and, and and this return to true productivity. And and almost, I'm kind of thinking of like uh, the movie Rocky Four, where you know Rocky goes into the the Russian uh, you know mountains and is you know having to get back uh, you know doing pulling sleds full of logs and just doing the hard work of getting back in shape. But then when he emerges, he's the best he's ever been. Right. So I, I feel like you think that the, the global economy is kind of going to go through that retrenchment back to basics, doing the hard work, really focusing on productivity. And then it's going to explode out of that. And we're going to have, you know, a, a really good era coming, coming out of that. True. 
Yeah, but even more simple, constraints create opportunity. There is a number of sociology studies done that shows that when people are faced with constraints, their ability to circumvent and, and, and get through those constraints increase significantly. On the other side, if you have multiple choice, freedom of uh, range and freedom of, of choices, you, you do nothing with it. So I, I, I really think the, 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 the way you want to think about this, if you want lower prices, you need, you, you need higher prices. If you need higher productivity, you need, you need to rebase. So, so for, for me, it's all about the constraints. I think the constraints are the best thing that ever happened. Imagine if we didn't have inflation in 21 and 22, then we will still be printing money like hell. Right. We'd probably still be having a crazy asset bubble, um, you know, and inequality would have gotten even worse. Um, all right. Well, look, um, I'm really hoping the future that you think is coming uh, is coming, Steen. And we're going to let you back on this program to give us as many updates as you like along the way there. But thank you so much for giving us so much of your time today. Uh, for folks that have really enjoyed this conversation, would like to follow you and your work, where should they go? Uh, we have a, a web research page called analysis.saxo. Uh, but otherwise, just look up Saxo, Saxo Bank Research, uh, Saxo Strats. And we have a podcast, which is uh, not done by me, but by, by my team, which is called uh, the Saxo Morning Call. Uh, I think uh, we have a huge amount of subscribers to that in the US, and it's free of charge, obviously. But well, that's a good starting point. Uh, Saxo Morning Call on, on your whatever podcast you use is, is a good way to start it. All right. And Senior on Twitter as well, right? I am on Twitter at uh, Steen Jacobson under Steen underscore Jacobson with a K. Yeah. Great. All right. And um, when we edit this, Steen, we'll put up the URLs to your Twitter handle and to the, the podcast and, and the website as well. So folks know directly where to go. Um, all right. Well, look, Steen, this has been wonderful. Folks, if you've enjoyed this conversation with Steen, we'd like to have him come back on and provide key updates for us in the future, as well as see other great minds like him on this channel, please support this channel by hitting the like button, then clicking on the red subscribe button below, as well as that bell icon right next to it. Um, Steen, thank you so much, brother. Really look forward to having you back on the channel again soon. Thank you very much, Adam. All right. Well, now's the time on the program where we bring in the lead partners from New Harbor Financial, one of the financial advisory firms uh, endorsed by Wealthion. Uh, you'll notice, folks, I have a different background here than when we started with Steen. Uh, that's because uh, there is a big bomb cyclone sending an atmospheric river to Northern California right now, knocked out the power in the very rural area in which I live. Uh, so uh, I've had to rush over to uh, a hotel in a nearby town and uh, using their little business center here. Uh, but anyways, I'm joined as usual by John Lodra and Mike Preston, the lead partners from New Harbor Financial. Hey, Mike. Hey, John. John, why don't we start with you? What were your key takeaways from this discussion with Steen? Hey, Adam. Uh, good to be back with you again. Um, I really enjoyed uh, Steen's talk. We, we had the fortunate uh, opportunity to meet him in person several years ago, I, I think at a conference uh, we were at with you, in fact. This, uh, I'm drawing a blank. I don't know if it was 2012, 2010, 2011, but it was a while ago. Yeah, but it was and, out here in my area in Sonoma. Yeah, exactly. And we uh, we marveled at his travel schedule. I remember that very, very distinctly. He was traveling all over the world. And I, I imagine he, he probably uh, ironically enjoyed the COVID shutdown for a bit because uh, I don't know how any human could have kept up that travel schedule that he was he was keeping up. But it was a, it was a joy to meet him in person. Really, really neat guy. 
We get to talk a lot a lot about non-work stuff. And he meant he might not even remember that. But um no, Steen, I you know, really he's kindred in the sense that he is a strategist, CIO for a private bank that helps folks with their private assets like like we do. Um so like like you pointed out, um comes from the uh perspective of a, a firm that actually manages people's money. Um so we we resonate with that. Um I think he just broadly speaking, he talked about some some big picture long term concepts and some shorter term concepts. Longer term, he he kind of I think pulled on the thread that we've talked about with several of you, your guests, and you, you about you know probably the the next decade or or two is going to be a different paradigm uh, in many ways than the last several decades. Certainly from a monetary uh, policy standpoint, but he talked about the deglobalization trends underway, and and uh, you know we we see a lot of that happening um everything from the chips act bringing you know semiconductor manufacturing back on shore here in the us to reshoring of of manufacturing to you know some of the geopolitical um wrangling going over resource supplies in a in a resource constrained world uh we we absolutely agree that that's a a trend that is likely to play out and we'll have pretty vast long-term investing implications that that probably will look different going forward than backward, but these are big picture trends that will take a, a while to play out. Interestingly, I think, uh, and, and you certainly called this out, I think he um, has a, a bit of a different call on the recession uh, likelihoods uh, over over the coming months and, and maybe even the year. Uh, in a word, I think he is, is much less in the camp of certain recession and points to the labor market as one key point there. And uh, as uh, the strength there anyways, and yeah, we're seeing headlines about layoffs and things like that. I know Amazon just came out with news to that they're going to lay off uh, 18,000 people, but understand this is a company I think that employs a million people worldwide. So 18,000, you know, so the headlines maybe not as as much as as it deserves. Um, but um, and and he he thinks the the likelihood of a Fed pivot um, is is therefore um not going to be one that's very likely from a because we're in a recession type type scenario but you know i think he uh calls the odds of a of a pivot meaning a fed pause on rate increases or even decreases one that would only probably happen in the coming year or, or near term as a result of a, a breakage in the treasury market you know basically the the issuance that is is on deck you're running short of liquid, you know, a pool of buyers to buy up that 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 debt. Uh, uh, so, you know, um, pretty interesting contrary viewpoint, I think, to to a lot of your guests. And and we as money managers have to think about those scenarios. You know, so we're not all in on bonds, for example, on the assumption that a recession is is in the cards. We're not unhedged on. Um, uh, on on uh, gold mining stocks because the, we think the Fed is going to lower rates. You know, so we, we're we're kind of playing all those scenarios in the way we're managing money right now. I guess I'll stop there. But that was my big picture takeaway of his his viewpoints, and I'm sure we'll delve delve into that quite a bit more. Yeah, and I think you know it's important to remind our viewers of this, right? That that nobody has a crystal ball, and um, you know it's these differences of opinions amongst smart analysts that make a market, right? That's why you always have everybody on both sides of every trade, uh, and a big part of uh, being a good active manager is you know kind of having a core thesis, but then diversifying and hedging around that thesis, right? And and Steen even we'll get into the details of his his allocation of his portfolio in a bit. But, you know, he 
refers to this and has in his previous appearances on this channel as sort of his hundred year portfolio, right? Which is like, this is a portfolio that if he had to like just construct it and then let it run for a hundred years, this is the one he thinks would perform the best. Um, and obviously he does a lot of kind of gardening, um, rebalancing and, and within each category, looking at the year ahead and saying, okay, what are the best stocks to own in my equity part of this? Um, but you know, the, the, that sort of diversification, um, and, uh, you know, risk management that's baked into this hundred year allocation, uh, you know, saved his bacon this year, right? You know, he was down only a couple percent when the markets were down, you know, 20 plus, right? So um, it does seem to work out pretty well. Um, I will be very interested, though, to see how the recession, uh, you know, likelihood develops over the year, because that that's one where, yeah, he is sort of an outlier from our recent guests. And, and I try not to show my biases too much. Um, but that's where one of my my clearer biases lie, where I think that it, I just don't see how we we avoid a, a pretty painful recession. But we got to be open to it, right? Um, Mike, we'll come to you uh, for anything you want to add on to that. And and in your answer um, on this topic of the shift uh, uh, to a more bipolar world, you know, sort of Team West and then Team you know Bricks. Um, uh, I'm guessing, correct me if I'm wrong, but that you know you guys are aware of that and 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 have to, you know, basically begin to construct your portfolio to say, hey, you know, if there's going to be sort of a bifurcation of the global economy, we want to have some exposure to both of those areas. And I believe you guys have some emerging market exposure. And that would indeed be a way to sort of play the potential, you know, rise of a more commodity producer-driven block. Um, but don't let me put words in your mouth. I'll let you respond to that. Yeah, Steen talked about commodities, uh, in his view, being up maybe 20% this year in, uh, in 2023. Uh, we agree with that. We're bullish on energy. Uh, he, Steen talked about the fact that uh, energy is becoming weaponized. I, I don't know that that's the uh, the only reason why he's bullish, um, but there certainly is a, a shortage of commodities, and the technical chart patterns look really good in commodities too. So we're very bullish on commodities, and that leads into bullishness uh, in emerging markets. Emerging markets are um, the predominant producers and suppliers of many many different commodities around the world, and they I think will probably use that uh, to their advantage as some sort of leverage. Um, so emerging markets, I, I do think, has a, a, an aspect there that's uh, bullish because of uh, our bullishness on commodities. But a lot of our work is fundamental, um, but a lot more of our work is, is, is technical. We look at relative strength uh, of, of one country versus another or one region versus another. And we look at valuations as well. And we build all of that together into a picture. And by far, emerging markets are way more attractive than almost anywhere else in the world. If you look at the uh, cyclical adjusted PE ratio, there may be in the, in the, the low teens versus um, the, the S&P 500, depending upon how you measure that, is anywhere from the high teens up into the 40s. The way that we think it should be measured with a margin adjusted cyclically adjust, um, um, chiller PE is somewhere between 40 and 45 and uh, would, would then predict negative returns over the next 10 years or so. So emerging markets is a pocket of undervaluation in the world, one of the few pockets of undervaluation in the world. I might note that we recently added a small position in emerging market bonds as well. 
Not a big one. We're just starting to build a position there. But emerging market debt has been absolutely obliterated this year. And uh, it's a lot of it has to do with the dollar strength and so forth. And the one that we picked actually is um, denominated in local currency, not dollars. And uh, we think there's, there's a, a fair bit of upside in emerging market debt. So emerging market stocks, we've got about a 10% exposure, 3% in emerging market debt. And yes, we agree with Steen that commodities should be one of the few areas to do very well over the next year or so. Um, and so we'll continue to build that position, I might add. It's only a 10% position, but one of the things we're pretty patient about is looking at chart patterns, looking at valuations around the world. And valuations can be really hard to follow because the timing could be off even by years. We just saw this largest bubble ever. It seemed like it was endless and it finally has topped in my view. I know the top happened about a year ago, but uh, it's difficult. So valuations are difficult to uh, to use for timing in the short term, but almost certainly will do much better in terms of telling us what to invest in over the next 10 years or so. So we'll look for, for drops in the market, pre predominantly in the S&P, and we'll add exposure to sectors and, and maybe even the U.S. indexes, but we, we very well may be adding to areas as we get to lower valuations in the U.S., but adding to emerging markets in other parts around the world because you know, it's only 5% of the people uh, in the world living in the United States, but it's roughly 50% of the stock market capitalization. It's pretty crazy. Um, but you know, we might go upwards of 20, 30, 40% in, in things like emerging markets if we get the real bear market worldwide that we're expecting to get. So I'll pause there. All right. Um, and hey, when you talk about the emerging market debt product that you guys just bought being priced in local currency, um, is that the security is priced in local currency and you're buying it like on a local exchange? Or, or is it that the debt that's being held within the fund uh, is debt that's in the local currency of the, the country, or the, yeah, the countries where the borrowing is occurring versus a lot of foreign, uh, especially emerging market countries? They have a lot of dollar-denominated debt, and of course, that gets super exposed to whatever the dollar is doing. Yeah, we just wanted to invest in the debt itself. We're bullish on these countries, bullish because of the fact that they've got undervaluation going for them and a high commodity um, exposure. And so we really wanted to take out um, the unknown factor about what the U.S. dollar is going to do. The U.S. dollar probably will stay strong for a while, but who knows what it's going to do long term. We actually like the idea of taking out the, the, the impact of the U.S. dollar and buying the debt that's in those local countries' currency. You're right that most emerging market debt is denominated in U.S. dollars, but some of it is denominated in the currency of the country taking out the debt. And the instrument that we bought owns those instruments, non-U.S. denominated. Okay, great. Fantastic. I'm sure there's going to be some questions from folks uh for more details on that so you know folks if you have questions just reach out directly to the guys at new harbor i'll tell you how to do that at the end of this video um all right um so john coming back to you for a minute uh so steen's outlook um is basically look we're following we've been following you know some bad policies he, he talked about the current sort of strategy of we have to tank the economy to force a Fed pivot, then to rescue the markets. Um, I, I think the term Steen used for that was the most stupid policy <laughs> we could be pursuing right now. But um, it seems that uh, he thinks that, you know, we're going to go through some continued corrective process 
right now um, in in asset prices. You know, they, he I think acknowledges that you know we we've had an asset bubble in the past, uh, and even if we don't go into recession, um, it sounds like he thinks we're going to have a a rough half uh, in this year. He wasn't exactly sure which half was going to be the rougher half, but there was going to be one. But but then he said something really interesting. You know, he said, look, because we are seeing the average cost of capital uh, rise so much and we have all these sort of, you know, inflationary pressures with higher wages and higher input costs, that it is enforcing a much needed discipline on the corporate sector, right? And that you're you're probably going to see a die off of, of the, the excess speculation. You're going to probably see a die off of the, the companies that just don't deserve to be in business, you know, these zombie companies and whatnot. And, and as a result, we will emerge from this stronger, right? We will have better, more productive companies that once the corrective process is over, you know, we'll kind of be, we'll have a bigger engine that'll be firing on, on all pistons. Um, and that he expects the most productive years in history lie ahead, which, you know, was nice to hear, you know, some of that optimism. We haven't heard a lot of it on this program recently. Uh, and I'm just curious to get your reaction to that. Do you, because we talk a lot about, you know, the fact that that the odds of some big correction, you know, are, are pretty high and, and we may even be in the process of going into that correction right now, certainly feels that way. Um, but is there a silver lining here that, that once the dust clears and the piper's been paid and the damage and pain have been taken that, you know, there actually may be a bigger story uh, or better story uh, coming out of it. Yeah, Adam, absolutely. And, um, you know, the cost of capital, mostly through the cost of money, the interest rates that that flow through the lifeblood of, of the economy is is probably and Jim Grant would have lots to say say about this. He's been a guest of yours, and he's he's maybe the godfather of of money and interest rates. the The, the cost of money flows through every aspect of a cap capitalistic society. Uh, anytime you evaluate an investment or a project uh, from a from an economic standpoint, either uh, consciously or subconsciously, you're comparing it to a hurdle rate. You know what is the alternative use of that money? And when you make money cheap or even negative, you know, free, <laughs> uh, it distorts the whole signal of, of where to invest productively and what even deserves investment. So absolutely, we're, we're in agreement that, 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 that this new reality that we now are in with the cost of capital being 6% or whatever you want to call it, is going to force a discipline. And, you know, you recently had Joel Salatin on your, on your program. I, I, we're, we're big fans. Uh, Mike and I went to a, a bit of a corporate retreat of, of ours as partners, uh, probably 10 years ago now at his farm in Virginia. Wonderful guy, really insightful beyond his his craft of farming. And you know, we were talking about economics with him in, in a sidebar discussion. And he talked about everything in nature, everything on the farm requires cleansing and and you know a regenerative process to kind of regenerate itself. And uh, you know, essentially what I think we're now embarking on with money starting to be real again, or or not money, but interest rates starting to reflect scarcity again. Uh, is that those natural cleansing processes can happen and will happen. And so, so yeah, we think it's going to impart a discipline that is uh, maybe painful at first uh, in terms of resetting prices of, of assets that got you know, unjustifiably inflated, uh, but it will ultimately lead to more thoughtful and prudent and productive investment that will create real benefits, not just you know flashes of a pan on, on a statement somewhere in a bubble stock. Um, so things that need investment, like 
energy and infrastructure. There's no doubt that they're underinvested in now. And there's no doubt that they are constrained beyond what uh, we need for, for the kind of economic prosperity that, that uh, we need as a, as a race. Um, so we, we agree with that, that, that um, conclusion and that outcome, and that it's ultimately a healthy thing and will, will be very, very impactful, I think, from, a, from an investing standpoint. Um, you look at the kinds of things that did well in the 60, late 60s through the early 80s, where the markets went nowhere in general, you know, the broad indices went nowhere, but there were certain sectors that did phenomenal. And what were then, you know, today's version of the high-flying tech stocks back then were the nifty 50. You couldn't go wrong if you invested in nifty 50, but they got eviscerated in that period. So we, we think these things will start to have real impacts on, on what will be looked at as prudent investing that will look different than we've seen over the last decade or, or two. All right. Well, look, I cannot wait to get to the period, uh, John, with you guys where we are identifying, you know, that opportunity and giving the green light for folks that it looks like it's time to really get into these you know, sectors uh, once we get through all the clearing. So maybe fingers crossed if it's going to happen, uh, it happens soon so that we can get to the other side faster. Um, you know, in your your comments there about how uh, when the cost of capital, you know, basically becomes free. You get a bunch of malinvestment. Um, you just reminded me of a of a little anecdote, um, and this is small, but it's instructive. So I used to work for Yahoo many years ago, and when I joined Yahoo, um, it was uh, you know really it's a longer story, but it was it was right where the really fun days at Yahoo had just ended, right? You know, the, the fantasy time was just ending and they were having to like become a real business and they were heading into the, the dot-com uh, bust period. Um, but one of the things I noticed when I joined the company is they had, you know, a bunch of soda machines around the, co the company and uh, they all sold, you know, Coke and whatever else, you know, for a quarter. And, um, you know, I made the comment of like, you know, God, you know, like, why charge a quarter? It's, it's practically nothing. Like, why not just make it free, right? It's not like they're making a lot of money off of this thing. And they said, oh, really interesting story. Um, uh, Dave and Jerry, who were the two founders of, of Yahoo, they said they, they, they used to offer it for free. And they found that if they, if they made the soda completely available for free, then people would just grab soda all the time and just take a sip or two and then leave the cup somewhere, right? And the, the company was just cluttered with all these cups of soda. People just treated it. They took it all for granted. But they're like, if we charge them for it, even a nominal sum, they took it much more seriously, right? And so they didn't waste it. They drank less. They would recycle their stuff or throw it away. Um, and it's just, you know, a little instructive that when the cost of capital goes up, even just a little bit, it can actually change a big shift in, in behavior and make the market more responsible. Um, so tiny little story, but it's always stuck with me. Um, all right. Well, Mike, let's let's come to you as we begin to wrap up here. Um, we are just a couple of days here now into the new year. Um, markets have gone up a little bit. Uh, I think they're down a little bit today. We're recording this on um, Wednesday. Uh, but uh, we've definitely seen a pop so far this year in uh, the gold mining stocks, um, which, you know, uh, I, I think we'll probably all cheer here. Uh, I'm I'm feeling a sting a little bit because I sold a bunch uh, last day of 2023 just to do some tax loss harvesting. And I 
I didn't have enough time to uh, to reallocate yet. Um, and of course, they jump, you know, 10% or so in the two days uh, since I <laughs> had sold them. Um, I think they're cooling off a little bit today. But um, I, I'm guessing this has caught your attention, Mike. So I'm curious, any thoughts you have on it? Yeah, sure. I, I'd be happy to talk to that in terms of gold uh, and gold miners in particular. And then maybe I'd like to wrap up with a couple comments about the broad market and, and the risk that we still see in it. Go for it. Uh, and then I'll hand it. Then I'll hand it back to you. Uh, to do so, I'm just going to try to share my screen here briefly, which I think would be easier um, than any other way to describe it. I'm just doing that now. You should be looking at a chart of GDX, which is one example of an investment that owns gold mining stocks. It's the most. It's the most common one. Can you see that now, Adam? Yep, we can all see it clearly. All right, perfect. This is the daily chart of GDX. And GDX had a, a breakout about a year or so ago and then a very disappointing pullback. And I can show you the, the gold chart that, that shows that the same pullback in the price of gold. But really here over the last eight months or so is a big base pattern. So here's a big cup and handle. We call this a cup and handle pattern. And it's definitely not guaranteed but it is generally um, a good sign of strength. If you shake out all the weak hands here, and there's been many, many months to do this, so this is not a short basing pattern. And then you have a breakout here above the cup, and then a sideways consolidation followed by a breakout. So here yesterday was a breakout of the cup and handle. So this is a very strong bullish sign. Again, there's no guarantees in this business, but to us, it looks like, the um, that GDX and gold mining stocks has cleared a cup and handle. And we have adjusted our hedges actually as of yesterday. We have a caller on part of our position, actually half of the position, where we sold calls on half up here at 35 and then bought puts on half down at 27. So if we were to roll over quickly here, we at least know that we have coverage on half. We have coverage only on half because we're becoming more constructive on the the outlook for gdx here so and if we went to the weekly chart you can see the same consolidation here which is a little bit tighter on this chart and then a, and then a breakout right here of the handle so we really like uh gdx if i were to take a just let's take a quick look at uh, gold as well because i think it's somewhat instructive gold has gone through this very very long basing pattern frankly going back to the 20 11 high and then form this giant bullish triangle over about eight or nine years and then broke out finally back here and I guess this was uh 2020 or so formed another bullish triangle and then broke broke out early last year all looked great but then it was a failure one two three four five six seven straight months down in gold that hasn't happened since the 1980s so it looked like this bullish triangle and breakout had completely failed but interestingly, we're back at the at the apex, the breakout point of that triangle, almost like this whole thing might have been a fake out. So just going back to the daily chart here, we're now breaking out above these previous levels in gold. One more look at the weekly chart might be more instructive. And we're back at the, the apex of that of that bullish triangle. So um, it's early still, but to us, it looks it looks very bullish. Um, it would project up to maybe 2,500 going back to the monthly chart. If we were to actually successfully break back through these levels, it would it would project to about 2,500 maybe later this year. And that would 
Uh, that would align roughly with maybe GDX at uh, 55 or 60. So we'll wait and see, but we're very strong. Uh, we're strongly bullish on that group. One last thing I'd like to say, and then I'll hand it back to you. Um, I really think that, that people are under underestimating the downside risk in this market. Steam is right that everything is backwards. It's a stupid setup, really, um, in that the market requires a weak economy you know, to, to, to go up. And it's because we financialized everything. Obviously, it's central banking. And the central banks have incentivized bad behavior. I think Steen said something about um, when he was giving a lecture that students said, you know, I don't want to learn how to do different things in, in, in the banking industry. I just want to learn how to create an app and make $100 million. You know, and that's, it's become too easy. It's become unreal, almost fake. And a lot of it has been fake, to be honest. And I think we're, we're seeing a return more towards normality. Not yet. We're not anywhere near normal, but we're starting to see a turn towards it. Just looking at some quick numbers here, the S&P is off 20% from its all-time high, which is not much. But some of these FANG stocks I wrote down, Tesla down 75%, Apple off a third, Meta off two-thirds, Google down by 50%, Amazon down by 50%. Things like ARC down, I think, close to 85 or 90%. Um, these are these are big numbers. These are the previous leaders of the bubble market. So it's a huge warning sign. And we still remain at very excessive valuations on the S&P. And the last thing I'll do is share one more chart with you, if I, if I could, Adam. This chart put out by um, John Hussman at the end of last year. You should be able to see it here in a second. It, it shows data going back 100 years. This blue line is essentially the decline that would have to happen to get back to expected 10% returns in the S&P 500. This blue line is directly correlated to John Hussman's estimate of valuation, uh, margin adjusted price earnings ratio, which we think is a very, very good indicator. And then the red, the red area here is the actual loss over a subsequent three-year period. It stops three years ago because um, it's looking back three years. But look at the difference here. You know, there's no one saying that this is actually going to happen, that we're going to have a 60 or 70 percent decline. But that's what would have to happen to get back to 10 percent expected returns. And if we don't have a deeper pullback than we have right now, it would be the first time in 100 years that that has not happened, at least based on John Hussman's data. So I know I've thrown a lot out there, but I wanted to get all of that in in my recap. So thank you. No, thanks for sharing those, Mike. And, and actually keep the, this up just for a second here, because I want to underscore that last point you made, which is if you look at this chart, which is a near 100-year chart, um, every time that blue line plunges, uh, the, the red shading plunges eventually to meet it, right? Uh, that's what gets the market fairly valued where the projected or expected forward returns you know, become... Uh, positive at 10% range again, right? So you're basically saying, if we use history as a guide, and this, this chart basically says, every time before this has happened in history, then, you know, the, the catch up plunge has happened too. Um, we, you know, you'd have to have a pretty good reason for now to be very different than any other point in the past 100 years. Um, and I personally am not sure I know what argument to make to, to, you know, to to try to buttress that argument. Um, so 
you know, what I'm hearing from you, Mike, is just, hey, you know, this really suggests that we need to at least be um, prepared for the potentiality of the market to plunge dramatically from here to be able to, um, uh, you know, conform to the rest of the historical cycle this chart is showing us. Um, this is a really interesting, fascinating, and I'll say very frightening chart, uh, but I appreciate you showing it. You're also reminding me too, we should probably get John back on this program soon. Absolutely. We really um, like John a lot, follow his work closely. I'll stop sharing now, yeah. but this time would have to be different for us to not see a much deeper pullback in the market. This doesn't say anything about timing. This could happen tomorrow. It could happen over the next three years. It could happen slowly over the next 10 years. But it, it, things would have to be vastly different this time for us not to have deeply negative expectations over the near to intermediate time. And so that's what's been frustrating um, about this cycle is that it has been different for longer than ever before. And will it continue to be different permanently? We don't think so. In fact, we think the market's already topped a year ago. Like I said earlier, the generals have already topped and dropped by anywhere from a third to 90%. And so, um, you know, we think that the time is right to be very, very cautious. And, and that's that's how we're behaving now. Hey, Adam and Mike, I want to inject one one other point in that awesome chart. We are huge fans of John Hussman. And if, if you look at that chart again, you don't necessarily need to bring it up, Mike, but um, there were some uh, gaps in there where there was a white space between the blue line and the red, wet, red drops. And they look fairly innocuous on that chart because it's a hundred year chart. But those are actually years, if not decades long uh, periods. And Adam, to your comment, you, you said something to the effect of, I, I wouldn't know how to explain justifying this time being different. Well, those white spaces are the collective uh, belief of markets that this time is different. Those, those white spaces are the bubbles that happened uh, in the tech bubble, in the housing bubble, and what we think now is the early stages of the resolution Again, they look innocuous on that on that chart, but they are incredibly painful for any naysayers, ourselves included, any prudent folks that are not willing to jump in a an emerging and expanding bubble. That's those white spaces on that chart, and that's the ultimate um, slapback to the "this time is different" mantra that always uh, occurs in bubbles. Right, right. Another way to say it is that those that those white spaces represent the collective denial. Uh, that that uh, this time was going to be like the others and, and we're in a new paradigm. But then inevitably, you had the snapback, that red line grew to fill and, and meet the, the blue line and prove, nope, it's not different this time. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, look, um, we're going to have to bring it to a close here, guys. Uh, great discussion today. I've made a note here to reach back out to John. Um so, uh, John Loder here, maybe I'll, I'll let you have the last word. Um, you know, I've been asking you guys at the end of the past couple of videos we've done, hey, what should people be doing now that it's end of year? And we talked about tax, tax, sorry, tax loss harvesting and taking required distributions from retirement accounts and stuff like that. Okay, well, now fast forward, we're at the beginning of the year. Um, I'm sure, you know, if, if our viewers are like most people, um, some of their New Year's resolutions involve around getting my finances a little bit better in order, maybe, you know, reallocating my portfolio or maybe starting working with advisor for the first time. Um, got any advice for people here at the very beginning of the year? Yeah, and, and actually, I guess it's a little contrary advice because while there are definitely um, year-end motivated things one should do before they run out of time to say, for example book tax losses. 
We actually are kind of cynical about the whole turn of the year kind of phenomena as relates to one's financial picture, you know, because it oftentimes imparts a, a psychology that is anchored in just feelings and not reality. Um, so, for example, there might be folks out there saying, wow, we're glad 2022 is behind us. That was a tough year in the market. There's nothing magical about the change of the calendar that changes the situation that has given rise or gave rise to what 2022 was. Um, we still have a market that's overvalued by a lot of metrics. We still have a Federal Reserve that is uh, at least talking very tough about raising interest rates. So in other words, nothing about the change of the calendar uh, either invites an all clear or, you know, the same thing we would say today is the same thing we would say back in October, for example, Take a fresh look at your situation, your portfolio. Uh, don't imagine that the change of a calendar year suddenly creates a different environment. Um, we're all for the motivation and, and clear thinking that a, a new year can have in resolutions, but uh, it's it's all about looking at market. You know, and and there's you know the, the last bunch of weeks I saw a bunch of charts saying, hey, um, in years where the market was down this big, either in stocks or bonds, only one time out of 20 was the next year down. That I think unfortunately puts a, a very false stat, stat out there because if you instead look at 12 month rolling periods, you get a totally different you know, uh, outcome. You know, so it's, it's just an artifact of a calendar year metric that that stat comes out. If you instead look at 12 month rolling periods, you get a totally different you know, conclusion about what the next 12 months uh, might look like. So that, that, those are just some weird things that I we cringe when we think about calendar year kind of mental gymnastics. All right. Um, look, I'll just add to what you said uh, that, um, yes, there's nothing magical about the turn of the, the calendar from December 31st to January 1st. Um, in terms of just uh, new year, new thinking, um, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm going back to that old adage of uh, to fail to plan is to plan to fail. Meaning if, if you do not, feel like you've got a good financial plan in place um then there's yeah the best time to get one in place was was last year it was a year ago but the next best time is right now right and so um i would imagine this is the right time to be sitting down and talking with a financial advisor to say okay look i got to put a plan together you're nodding as i'm saying all this john um so obviously beginning of the year is is better time to do it than later in the year and also just one thing for you guys to comment on is um, I always advise people to, uh, even if they're not necessarily ready to make final allocation decisions and, and move their money from their existing accounts and stuff like that, uh, if you've found a good advisor to work with, um, there's a lot of value in in like opening the account and getting all the paperwork stuff done and whatnot, because when if you're taking your time and then the markets really begin to move and you want to start to move your capital and, and deploy it quickly, there's all this friction involved just because of the financial system we have and the regulations and the way that clearing things happen and, and you got to coordinate with your banks and get wire transfers and all that type of stuff is it just takes time. And if we have some sort of event where things start cascading or moving really quickly, you can get caught behind it just by all the bureaucracy and the paperwork and stuff like that. And that's pretty universal with all financial advisors. It's, it's, it's again, it's because of the way the system is structured. And so um, I'm just going to reiterate what I always do in this program, which is, you know, 
most people, I think, myself included, um, is very tumultuous times, very uncertain times, um, should be working under the guidance of a professional financial advisor who understands all the macro issues that Steen and I talked about and that John and Mike and I have been talking about here. If you've got a good one, great. Um, but if you don't, you should find a good one. And, um, you know, yes, you can talk to the ones that uh, Wealthy on endorses, maybe even John and Mike and their team at New Harbor. But I'm kind of agnostic. As long as they're a good one and they fit your needs well, but you should at least get everything set up, even if you're not ready to move tomorrow. Just grease the skids, get the accounts open, get all the paperwork out of the way so that when you're ready to move, you can move quickly. Uh, John and Mike, I've seen you guys kind of nodding as I've been saying all this. Do you have anything else you want to add to this, color-wise? I'll just add quick. I totally agree with you, Adam. And I'll, I'll just hearken on something Steen mentioned that we agree with. Um, you know, Even if this year was flat, for example, as he thinks it might be flattish, he sees there being two halves, meaning there'll probably be a, a big move on one half and maybe counter move on the other half. Uh, all the point being is that a lot of movement can happen in a very short period of time. You know, we could see a 20, 30% drop in a month or two months, something like that, you know, and, and that's when you need to be ready to act to, to be tactically more offensive or defensive in, in, in the advance of that, that kind of scenario. But that, that's the only thing I, I'd add. All right. Well, look, as we wrap up here, guys, um, first, folks, uh, you know, if you want to uh, uh, have a conversation with a financial advisor that does understand all the macro issues we talked about, again, maybe even John and Mike themselves, just schedule a free consultation with the financial advisors that Wealthy endorses. Totally free, no commitment to work with them. Um, they just offer it as a public service. To do that, just fill out the short form at Wealthion.com. Um, let me remind folks, too, that uh, John, Mike, uh, I'll hopefully be seeing you guys this coming Monday uh, because we're going to be hosting our live monthly Q&A. So folks watching here, if you can attend that live, you really should because you get a chance to ask your questions directly of John, Mike, and Lance Roberts. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm pretty confident we're going to have it on Monday. I'm, I'm not 100% confident because I'm still waiting to hear from Lance whether uh, he'll be available, but but I, I feel pretty good about it. Um, and if he's not, we'll do it you know later on that week or the next week. Um, but these monthly Ask Anything uh, uh, live opportunities are something we try to give you guys every month because it's we've just heard it's so valuable to be able to ask whatever questions you have directly of this brain trust. Um, all right, folks. And if you uh, have enjoyed this conversation with Steen, would like to see him come back on the program again, as well as other great minds like him, please do me a favor, support this channel by hitting the like button, then clicking on the red subscribe button below, as well as that little bell icon right next to it. And no matter what the markets do between now and next week, we will have John and Mike back on next week to help make sense of it for us, uh, as well as doing that uh, live Q&A in the interim as well. John and Mike, great to see you guys again. Thanks for another week. Everybody else, thanks so much for watching. Just want to say thank you, Adam. We appreciate what you do. And thank you to the audience. Um, we appreciate you watching us. Thanks. If you'd like to schedule a consultation with one of the financial advisors at New Harbor Financial, simply go to Wealthion.com. These consultations are completely free and there are no strings attached. The good folks at New Harbor will simply answer any questions you have about your investment goals or your portfolio and give you their best advice given their latest market outlook. They're willing to do this because they care about protecting people's wealth and because Wealthion has connected them with so many thoughtful investors just like you over the past decade. We started doing this because so many people have approached us in frustration, looking for a solution because they're feeling out of alignment 
or downright ridiculed by the standard financial advisors who have been managing their money. You know the type. The kind that just pushes all of your money into the market, scoffs at the idea of owning gold, and when you bring up concerns about the market's sky-high valuations, they say, don't worry, the market will always take care of you. For many of the reasons discussed in today's video, we think this is one of the most challenging and treacherous times in history for investing. We strongly believe that today's investors are best served working in partnership with a conscientious professional financial advisor who understands the risks in play. Now, we're agnostic which professional advisor you work with, as long as they're good. If you're already working with one, that's fantastic. Stick with them. But if you don't, or are having trouble finding one you respect or trust, then consider talking to John and Mike and the team at New Harbor. Now, for those about to ask, yes, there's a business relationship between Wealthion and New Harbor, which we put in place to make sure everything is handled according to SEC regulations. All the details on this are clearly provided on the Wealthion.com website. Also, it's important to note that New Harbor is able to work with U.S. citizens, green card holders, and those with existing assets in the USA. But for regulatory reasons, they aren't able to take on non-U.S. clients. All right. With all that said, if you'd like some insight and guidance on how to protect your wealth during this unprecedented time in the markets, go to Wealthion.com to schedule your free consultation with the good folks at New Harbor. Thanks for watching.